How many of you would love for that just to pop up on your wall as you wake up in the morning just to get you out of bed and get going, right? Right, I'm not the only one who has thought that the past four weeks. Okay, let's see if you remember the equation. God plus place plus you plus all of us will give us a love for where we live. Today, as we wrap this series up, it's about all of us, all of us, not just me and not just you, but remarkably, simply and profoundly us. You know, if you've been here longer than a week, that we love to celebrate around here. We celebrated turning eight years old last week. We celebrate baptisms and the Hope Project and family dedications. It's who we are. And today, we're celebrating us, the decisions that have been made during the series, the conversations that you're starting to have with neighbors and coworkers, and even the courage just you're exhibiting in simply showing up. Our aim has been that God would awaken us to what he wants to do in us and through us here in San Francisco for however long you call this place home. We've even been wowed by some of you that believe that during this series, you feel called to be here a little bit longer. And some of you have really have told us the stories that you're beginning to share. And do you know there's already 500 of us that are signed up for small groups? And that's just what we've seen and heard. I know that there's more. I believe there's more. God's movement isn't done, and some of you are just moving into the city, and you're just awakening, this, awakening to this reality that you have purpose here. And we've got so much still of the city to love. But we have to have this reality that everything we have is on loan to us. Everything we have is on loan to us. Our families, our jobs, the address we have in the city, the money in our bank accounts, the shoes on our feet, it's all on loan to us. If we will see life this way, our lives will have greater purpose. But if we don't have this mindset, then our purpose diminishes just to earthly goals and earthly pleasures. When we see that everything we have comes from God, we will see everyone around me and you as us. When we see everything that we've been given, it comes from God, then we will begin to see everyone around me and you as us. How is everything tied and related to everyone? Because it all comes from the creator, the giver, the maker of heaven and earth. But the other side of this is just as true. The enemy, the devil, he wants to keep us isolated and lonely. He works really hard to keep us scared and secluded and even feeling superior. He wants to keep us in the dark and discouraged. We have people in our city that need healing, that need housing. We have lonely people who need a friend and need to know about a faith community in the city. We have the marginalized who are needing advocates. Remember back to week two, what we shared about place as God sent the Israelites into Babylon. Scripture says, if the city prospers, we prosper. If San Francisco prospers, then we, the people of God, prosper. Some of you have stepped into this room today because you're looking for a friend. You're looking for a community to attach yourselves to. 
You're welcome here, and we're so glad you're here. Others of you are watching online, and you're getting up the courage to come down and be here in person. Some of you are in a season of waiting, and you need to know that we're waiting with you. Some of you are ready to take your next step on your faith journey, and we are ready to celebrate with you because it's all of us. It's not just me and you and them. It's all of us. I want to show us something this morning that happened over the course of Jesus' public ministry on earth. Jesus shows us how to engage. And in the New Testament, we can observe how Jesus touched this one, how he saw that one, and how he called out another. There are a few mentions that I'm going just to roll through of how Jesus influenced, connected with, and spent time uh, with his time on earth, who he spent time with. These will be on the screen. The 12 disciples, the bride and groom at the wedding in Cana. He had a conversation with Nicodemus. He went out of his way to meet with a Samaritan woman. He healed the official son. There was a 38-year-old invalid at the pool. He fed 5,000 people in one meal. There was a mom and boy with that lunch that fed the 5,000. He walked on water. The adulterous woman about to be stoned to death. He met with the blind man and his parents. You have Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and the town of Bethany. The soldiers, high priest, governor, and the crucifixion crowd. And then you have his appearances post-resurrection. You don't need a seminary degree to find these in the Bible. You just have to read the little subheadings. You know, the subheadings that are throughout the scriptures? That's where these came from. But what I want you to know is that as you read these encounters, as you read what Jesus did on his time on earth, you'll discover that Jesus was always looking for opportunities to engage. And he was always looking for opportunities to engage so that he could make much of his father. He was always looking for opportunities to engage so that he could make much of his father. As I look at this list, I think about the official whose son was died and resurrected. And I can only imagine because of where it took place that he very well could have been at that wedding in Cana and witnessed Jesus' first miracle of turning the water to wine. I think about the boy when he just took that lunch and saw how many people it fed for, he couldn't wait to get home and tell his mom. I would only imagine from that day forward, that mom considered every single lunch she made as something sacred. I'm thinking that when Jesus was out there walking on water, there had to be other boats and other fishermen who saw the miracle of Jesus walking on water. Or the woman that was about to be stoned to death. Because Jesus engaged and stepped in, her life and the life of her family was forever changed. I know, we're talking about Jesus, right? But doesn't he model life for us so well? I want us to read his words that are recorded in two places in the book of John about what he did that's not recorded and how it affects us. We're going to read John 21, 25. And John 14, 12, you can pull this up on your Epic app, on the YouVersion app, if you brought your Bible with you, and it's also going to be on the screen. But if you would stand together as we honor God's word and read these two verses. John 21, 25, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the book's 
that would be written. And John 14, 12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. You may be seated. As we look at John 21, 25, this is the very last verse of the book of John. What do we not see? What is not recorded about what Jesus did? I think about what I know about you. I think about what you know about your small group leader or what you know about the people that serve on the team with you here at Epic. And yet there's so much more that we do that not everyone sees, that we don't pin or tweet or post. We cannot know what everyone else is doing, right? But we all can look to Jesus and do our part. And what happens to parts? They start to add up. Parts start to add up. And the city gets loved. And people get cared for. And people start to ask us why. And we get to tell our story of who Jesus is to us. And where we have found a community of faith. And why we have hope and peace and joy. And then pay attention to his words in John 14, 12. It says, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Do you believe that God can use you? I love that Jesus seems very confident of this. This is why he said it. He's very confident that God can use you. And why does he say this? Why does he say that we're going to go on and we can go on to do greater things than these? Because he was going to the Father. Do you see? Jesus is leaving earth, and he's leaving earth to us. Jesus is leaving earth, and he is leaving earth to us. This is his mission. This is how he set things up. So I want us to go back to those subheadings. And what I want us to do is I want to see the parallel to our lives. Because what Jesus did is, is while he encountered, engaged with people, once he leaves earth, he leaves the Holy Spirit with us. And it's because of the Holy Spirit in us that allows us to do even greater things than he did. So these parallels will be up on the screen. So you have Jesus and the 12 disciples. For us, it's us with our close friends. You have Jesus with the bride and groom at their wedding. It's when we're at celebrations. Jesus having this conversation with Nicodemus. For us, it's the people who are interested and inquisitive about your story. Jesus going out of his way to spend time with a Samaritan woman. It's us going out of our way to meet the shunned and the scarred. It's Jesus with the official son, and it's the people in our lives that are needing a miracle. It's Jesus with the invalid at the pool. It's the outcast that are here in our city. It's Jesus feeding 5,000 people. For us, some of us are called to reach the masses. And for the boy and the mom with the lunch, can I just say to the kids and students in this room, this should encourage you. If God can do this with a boy's lunch, imagine what you have in your hands that God wants to use at your age right now. And then you think about the mom. For all of us, it was just in her ordinary, everyday, mundane routine. That's where God wants to use us. Jesus walking on water. 
Anyone? Okay, so we cannot walk on water, but what can we do that we can learn from Jesus? We can be there for those who are afraid and who are fearful. Jesus with the adulterous woman about to be stoned and those that had the stones in their hands ready to throw. For us, it's the people who feel unloved in our lives. And it's also the people who judge and are unmerciful. For Jesus with the blind man and his parents, it's those in our lives that we want to see their eyes opened to truth. When Jesus was with Mary and Martha, Lazarus, and the town of Bethany, we are called to weep with those who weep. Jesus, with the soldiers, the high priest, the governor, and the crucifixion crowd, Jesus says, love your enemies. And then his appearance is post-resurrection. It's those of us who are in our lives who have yet to believe. Who comes to your mind? Who comes to your mind? They live right here. Some are in the same room with us. They're outside this building. They're down the alley. They live above you. They live below you. They're on the same street with you. You're going to see them in the coffee shop this week. And they're going to be on that same bus route that you take. You're going to find your way to window seat C. And you're going to be sitting right beside them. And they're going to hop in your Uber ride or your Lyft ride. Do you believe, and I think we all would agree, that what Jesus did mattered? What Jesus did mattered. And he says, we're going to go on and do greater things than these, which means what we do for other people matters. How we as Epic Church in the city, how we love this city, it matters. Do you see? It is all of us. All of us. Yeah, you can give it up for her. <laughs> She's been killing it this entire series. Sorry that you're stuck with me, Atul, for the rest of this time. You guys, it's not really about us having to be spectacular or remarkable. It's mostly about us living with an open-handed posture and simply paying attention to who God puts around us. In Shauna's book, she says it this way, what you would call mundane and ordinary, God calls significant and sacred. What you would call, right, the the, the boy and his mom with the lunch. Like, I, she just doesn't want him to starve. She didn't know she was going to feed 15,000 people that day. What you tend to call, what I tend to call mundane and ordinary, God calls it significant and sacred. Let me tell you exactly what I'm talking about out of this woman's life who's seated, seated now behind me. January 22nd was release day for Love Where You Live, a day we had been looking forward to um, since we found out a long time before that. Um, We wanted to celebrate her. So many of you wanted to celebrate her. Um, She's hearing from people around the country. We're hearing from people uh, even over in Europe and a couple of different countries over there. And it's an exciting time for us, but there are a couple of stories that almost no one in this room would know about. And it was essentially Shauna doing what she does every single day. So I thought it was amazing when I came home, actually release day, that she's just in her sweats making dinner. I thought, what is it going to be like to come home to an author today? (laughs) No different, but super exciting. (laughs) Beautiful even. But there are a couple things that happened over that 24 hours. On Monday afternoon, January 21st, Sean and I find ourselves in our next door neighbor's home. And the reason we're in their home, we haven't been there much, just a few times, but we're in their home because um, they came from China years ago and they're both in their 70s. And the wife was recently diagnosed with lung cancer. 
And so we go over there to, to be helpful. I mean, I get credit for a lot of things that Shauna always has the idea about. Um, guys, you know what that's like when your wife has the best idea and somehow you get on the birthday gift. So your eight-year-old's like, thank you so much, dad. And you're like, for what? <laughs> like, you're welcome. Why do we get him? Um, so we're over there. We're in their home. And um, the reason the wife was afraid of something going bad wasn't simply because she feared her own death. She just feared her husband being able to take care of himself. She expressed that to us. And we're there. We're circled up with our neighbors praying and what they don't understand completely in terms of what we're saying. And we're praying with them to a God they don't yet believe in. Open-handed posture. Pay attention. Open-handed posture. Pay attention. The next morning, it's release day. Like, this is the big day that we have been looking forward to. And yet, it felt just like almost every other day. She and I woke up at 530 every day. Between 6 and 620, these guys wake up with our help. <laughs> we have breakfast around the table. We now subscribe to the actual Chronicle. That's been a game changer for us. If you're looking for ways to get out of the screens and just to have a cool kind of breakfast uh, time together until someone starts arguing over the sports page. And, uh, and so we do that. And then around 7 to 7.20, depending on which day it is, we walk out the door together. For me, I head downtown. For her, she takes the kids to their schools in the minivan. Um, I could tell you we have a minivan because we have four kids, but Shauna wanted us to get a minivan when we had two kids, so you'll have to take that up with her. So she does what she does every day, which is to drop two of them off at their school, and the other one, we love him, we just drop him off at a bus stop because he's way out at the ocean. We're like, we got you here. God will have to get you there. God and the Muni driver will have to get you there. And some of you are like, really? It's all good. And so Shauna does the drop-offs, all three, and then she goes back to the gym that she nearly hits every single day. And um, while she's at the gym, she's got her notes up. She's rehearsing for the first talk in this series because that's the Sunday that was coming. And as she's doing it, the person on the machine beside her says to her, are you a professor at City College? She said, no, I'm just a visiting professor from Harvard, but she didn't say that. She... Actually said that, um, no, I'm actually teaching at my church this week. And by the way, if you want to see just all kinds of fun reactions around the city of San Francisco, when someone asks you what you're doing, you just tell them, okay, try it this week. I'm actually teaching at my church this week. If they're not freaked out, if they don't shun you, if they don't think you're weird, just come to church with them that week and we'll let you teach. Like if you just give us, an, just give us a heads up so that we don't spend our Saturday getting ready for your teaching time. And so the woman actually says, believe it or not, I'm looking for a church. And understandably that her kids go to the same school with our kids, and we're not sure that they've ever been to a church in their entire lives because she left it a long, long time ago. You guys, don't make this harder than it has to be. Everybody's like, God, will there be a sign? How do I know it? Should I do something with this person? Should I do something with that person? Like just, God, where do you want to use me today? My hands are open and my eyes are just paying attention, which means we have to continually leave a life of self-absorption. And if you're like me, we have to continually quit being obsessed with the future. Now, just so you know, a tool who did the welcome a moment ago, like on his LinkedIn profile is futurist. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. But if you're like me, I'm so obsessed with what's coming that oftentimes I'm missing what God puts right before my eyes. You guys, we've got to take the blinders off and we've got to start paying attention. That is what Jesus did so well. You see, I think one of the things he gave up to take on his humanity, he gave up some divinity. We know that in terms of him not counting, um, holding on to what he could have held on to by becoming human. But I think one of the things he actually gave up were, was like knowing everything at every moment. Just because, uh, like Ben, how do you know that? Because just as he's going along the road, that's where he begins to encounter people, right? 
The woman at the well, he just happens to see her there. So he has open hands towards his father in heaven. He wants to know how to engage. He's paying attention. You've just got to start paying attention. But how you can begin to pay attention even while you're seated in here is to ask this question. Who has God placed in your circle? Your circle. Your neighbors are in your circle. You're like, Ben, they don't like us. We make too much noise upstairs. They're still in your circle. Your coworkers are in your circle. The friends that you met here at Epic, your circle. Those who hang out in the social spaces you inhabit, that's your circle. And those who are part of the hobbies that you're engaged in, that's your circle as well. At the nine o'clock hour, we had someone who had paid attention and engaged with someone at their CrossFit gym. And because of that, she invites the CrossFit gym coach and his fiance um, to come to Epic to see her baptism back in October. And we baptized the fiance this morning at nine. She's paying attention. Now, as you can see, I've never been to a CrossFit gym. <laughs> but I have other hobbies. Whatever your hobbies are, whatever you're engaged in, God, hands open. Who do you want me to interact with today? Pay attention. Pay attention. Let's don't make this harder than it has to be. And you need to know this. God actually isn't asking me to engage with the people he put in your life. Like, but Ben, you're the pastor. God is not asking me to engage with the people that he's put in your life. That's why he put them in your life. That's why they're in your circle. That's why it's your part. We say around Epic, if you've not been around for some time, we try to say this often throughout the year, which is in any endeavor or situation, there's a part for God to play, and then there's a part for us to play. And the same is true when it comes to the people God has put in your life. You are not alone, but you do have a part. You don't have the biggest part, but you do have a part. You can't change someone from not being a follower of Jesus to becoming a follower of Jesus by yourself. God must do that, but you have a part to play. Tim Keller says it this way, and I think he's so spot on. Of course, he's always spot on. But here's what he says about this. And he says, there are some needs only you can see. There are some hands only you can hold. There are some people only you can reach which you should feel a little bit of responsibility as I ask you this question. If you don't play your part, who will? Jesus, during that same public ministry that Shauna referenced, he was teaching a lot as well, not just touching people and doing miracles. He was teaching a lot. And you guys, even if it makes you uncomfortable, Jesus said a lot of things about where people were going to spend eternity. Someone said this past week that he's actually spent 13 times more speaking on hell than he did heaven. That's Jesus. You're like, oh, the church. No, that's Jesus. And he talked about what it looked like and how you ended up spending eternity with him in this beautiful, glorious reality. And he also talked about what it looked like to be separated and to live in utter darkness and to live in torment. But the big idea for today is every person is going to live forever somewhere. But what I want to say to you today is this. They're not going to live around you forever. They're not going to live around me forever. They're not going to work around you forever. They aren't all, you know, they were there at the gym in January, but they won't be there the rest of the year, right? So we don't have to live with pressure, but we should live with urgency. There's a principle we used to say at Epic related to generosity, and here's how we said it. We leverage the temporary for the sake of the eternal. But while we know that our financial resources aren't the only thing that are temporary in our lives, we also need to know that relationships are temporary, you never know when you're going to move away from your neighbor or they're going to move away from you. You never know when this will be the last week for a coworker or one time when it's coming up, it will be your last week there. I'm not 
asking you to live with a ton of unnecessary pressure, but I do think it's okay for me to say to you, let's live with a great sense of urgency. I don't have to be stressed out every time my feet hit this stage to teach, but you need to know what I know every time I stand up here. Every time that I stand up here, it's always someone's first day and always someone's last day. Every time. I don't have to live with pressure. I just have to play my part. Open-handed God, what do you want me to say? That's my part. But it's not just a Sunday thing. It's my part during Monday through Saturday, and it's your part to play Monday through Saturday. Not unnecessary pressure, but you do need to play your part. I'm reminded of the words that Paul gave to the, the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. He said it this way. Be very careful then. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Some of you just need to put this on your bathroom mirror. You need to put it in your car. You need to put it in your wallet. Some of our lives, just before we get to doing stuff for other people, if we just lived wisely and not unwisely, your life would look different and so would mine. We talk at Epic all the time about building that wisdom table. But Paul says one of the ways to live wisely is to simply make the most of every opportunity, every opportunity. Two things I want you to embrace, even if they create tension. God does want to use you, but it's not about you. God does want to use you and you and you and you, but it's not about you or you or you or me. Amazing is how we should feel that God gives us a part. I say to our team and to some of you often, God is the greatest delegator history has ever known. And he's the craziest delegator history has ever known. Like, you could do it so perfect, you're depending on her and him and me. What are you thinking, right? But it's not about me or you or you. Paul, we talk about him a lot because he was a serial church planter, a serial entrepreneur. And one of the places where he started a church was in the crazy city of Corinth. If you think San Francisco's crazy, go look at first century Corinth. Blow your mind. Things that were happening in the church, but... Please don't become that kind of church, except for the good stuff they got to later. And Paul would move to these cities. He would share this good news of Jesus, that message of hope that you could have faith in him and live forever with him. And every sin you have committed, are committing, will commit. It can be forgiven and it can be cleansed. And as he would do that, he would then move on. And so he's in the city of Corinth doing that, instructing this church for 18 months. When Paul moves on, Apollos picks up where Paul left off. And as Apollos starts teaching, people think that Paul and Apollos are opponents. So they start saying things like this. Hey, we're with Paul, right? They're like, they're making signs. They've got the bullhorn, Paul, Paul. And then this other group, they're like, Apollos, Apollos. He's the best teacher ever. We follow him. It would be like you here at Epic having to choose between team Ben and team Will. Choose Will. Choose <laughs> But they're doing that, and Paul wants to speak into this because he wants them to know it's about all of us. It's not me versus you. It's not you versus them. It's not your gift versus my gift. It's not my influence versus your influence. It's all of us. And I want to show you in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 through 9, here's what Paul's doing. He's writing to the Corinthians who are taking sides with their leaders. And what he's going to do, and how I want you to see it framed, he's going to simply talk about parts. His part, Apollos' part, and listen to what he says. What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed. 
Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. We are servants. We are not the main event. We are serving the main event. We, we are not making our part the big thing in our world. We are not making it about our glory. We are just servants. And I love what he says. Um, how many of you have some amazing coworkers? Raise your hand if they're in the room. Team. How crazy to know that Paul is telling us what is true, that we get to be coworkers with God. Isn't that crazy? So anybody remember like fourth grade or even last week at the office where it was a group project and there was that one you know who in your group that didn't bring their weight to the project? God is never that guy or girl, okay? He's never like, the, oh, you're going to have to make up for my part because I'm just not playing my part today. Go for it. He's always playing his part, but he's inviting us to play our part. In verse 5, it says, um, as each of us have been assigned a task. I don't know about you, but I love this idea that Paul brings up, that when it comes to what God is up to in our world, he gives you a task, and he gives you a task, and he gives you a task, and then he gives us gifts, and then he gives us our individual wiring and story, and he wants to use all you have, and for us, he wants to use every single one of us. I'm not going to play your part. And you're not going to play my part. And please don't try to play God's part. You see, here's what you have to know. We each have different parts to play in God's story, but we have one purpose. And it's time for us to quit being divided and quit getting on our high horse about, oh, well, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And, oh, I wish I had that person's gifts. You don't, but you have your own gift and God is handing you a part. And what he wants to know is, will you play it? Will you play it? Will you play it? All of us, all of our stories, all of our gifts, all of our unique personalities, and boy, do we have some unique, look around, personalities. He wants to use all of us. He, he, he wants to use Sonia and the way that you serve every week at the Bessie Carmichael Food Bank. He wants to use Bob in the way he volunteers as a substitute teacher here in this city. And he's using Candace to pour into other moms and to help show them what God has taught you along your own journey. And he's using Eugenia as she pours into interns that come in from all over the world. And he's using Ken and Kelly and their family to love a neighborhood, which can include cleaning streets or showing people how to live there or opening up your home or maybe opening up a business. You guys, Jesus is still inviting us into what he is up to. Because we believe and we are convinced that God wants to use your gifts in your current season of life to tell your story. Right here in this city. Right now with those right around you. And every time we say yes to his invitation. This is exactly what it means to love where you live. Who's in? Who's going to play their part? God's not going to hand your part to someone else. There will be things that just don't get done if you don't play your part. There will be things that not only will the world miss out on and our city miss out on and our church miss out on, but you're going to miss out on. One of my passions in life is to, whether it's our four kids and we're praying with them about their purpose, if I'm trying to coach someone, if I'm trying to engage even in a conversation with Shauna about what we think God has for our future, 
There's nothing like realizing that we've been given a part to play, a task assigned by the God of heaven. And if you're living for less than that, you're missing out and so are the rest of us. So let's get in on it. And here's what you need to know. When God gives us a part to play, he doesn't walk off and tell us now we're on our own. To which you want to ask now, Ben, is God a micromanager? Because my boss, he gives us a part to play and then he empowers us. He delegates, he empowers, and he calls, and he promises to go with us. You see, when you're here in this worship setting, and it's an amazing time, these guys are about to sing a song where we're just begging God for his presence and for us to recognize it, but you need to know that what is present here goes with you. Jesus promises disciples, go play your part, and lo, I'm with you always to the very end of the earth and the ends of this age. God is with you. You're out of excuses. You have been given a part in the script of history to play, and you will need to determine whether or not you're going to say yes. Some of you are like, but Ben, I've got so many things going on. One of the things you need to be freed from is your own self-absorption. When I'm all up into Ben, guess what I'm not doing? I'm not playing my part, and I'm not happy. I'm not peaceful. I'm not filled with joy. One of the things where God sets me free is when I realize, here's my part. Let's lean in, let's play it. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for what you've done over the life of this series. God, thank you for the ways in which you are just crazy enough to give us parts to play when you could do all the parts by yourself. God, thank you that you're still writing your story. God, the the strength of our church is really about you being present and the rest of us playing our parts. God, what's happening in this city, even as I think about all of my pastor friends in the city in the Bay Area, God, what could you do if we as individuals and we as this church and we as a group of churches and Christians in this city played our part? God, help us to take ownership of our task and our circle. Open-handed, knowing you're with us, paying attention, God, we're in. We're in. Remind us even in this song, God, of your presence and what that does for us and what it will do for our city. I want to ask you to stand as Brenda and Brad lead us into this song called Here in the Presence. I think you'll find it to be a powerful expression of what we want to recognize in this moment. But remember, the presence we're about to sing about, it's the presence that's with you when you walk into the office at Tuesday morning. On Tuesday morning, it's, it's with you as you take your kids to school. It's, it's with you as you care for people who are hurting. It's with you. It's with you. Lean into his presence. Lean into your part. You'll be amazed at what those two things will bring about for you, for all of us, for this city.